All right. Well, good morning, DSBC. Yeah. Uh, I was glad when they said unto me to come up to DSBC to preach the word of God this morning. Uh, For those that may not know me, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors at Roosevelt Community Church in downtown Phoenix. And it is a joy and honor and privilege to be here once again uh, preaching for your pastor this morning. So thank you. Um, I'm excited for a couple different reasons. One, I love to preach, so that's that's, that's good reason. The second reason is because uh, I get to preach in your guys' sermon series titled The Flow of Justice. And uh, I just think that that word and that term is such a great word for all of us to hear, especially uh, in the cultural climate that we're in today. And the flow of justice um, is also a, a biblical reality that I think that many Christians, you'd be surprised, are not as familiar with. So one of the things when it comes to equipping and exposing the people of God to the whole counsel of God is important for us to talk about justice. And we're going to do that today from, we're going to look at the book of Amos, and it's in the Minor Prophets. This is a section in your Bible where it's, uh, it might be like um, pushed together because you haven't read it in a while. Um, So that's where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to be looking at the book of Amos. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them and open up to the book of Amos. While you're turning there, just a couple things about this particular book. Um, When we think about the prophets, if you will, there are major prophets and there are minor prophets. Um, Major prophets like Isaiah or or Jeremiah, if you will. Um, We have minor prophets as well. They're not... They're called minor because of some of the books are much smaller than, let's say, the book of Isaiah, right? So Jonah is only four chapters, and Isaiah is 66 chapters. So major and minor in terms of uh, content, not major and minor because of significance. Amen? So we got the minor prophets. Um, Prophet, somebody that basically uh, is the mouthpiece of God. They're communicating hard truths to people, and God deposits his message into them in such a way that cuts to the heart, that convicts people. Prophets are those people that a lot of people don't like, but they're doing the will of God. And it's no different here when we look this morning into the book of Amos. It's compiled by sermons, by poems, and visions in order to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom. The outline of the book, you can look at it and outline it and break it down in three different sections. There are only nine chapters in this great book. And I believe the, 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 the concise statement that we can sum up the book of Amos is simply this. God cares for his people. He cares about the vulnerable. He cares about the oppressed. And he cares about social injustices that are done to them. Uh, Another way of saying it is God cares about social injustices among the vulnerable, and so should his people. 
When I define the vulnerable, I'm talking about the widow, talking about the orphan, talking about the immigrant, and I am also talking about the poor. Um, some may prefer this phrase to, encump- uh, to, to, to identify what I mean. Some may like the term biblical justice. Uh, some people may like justice in society. Some people may even like the idea of justice in community. Um, or maybe you're, you come from the lineage of the great evangelist John Wesley, and he called it social holiness. But I've decided to tag my text today in our exchange to call it social justice matters. That's what I really think the book of Amos is really talking about. So let me pray real, real quick, and then we're going to dive into this great, great, great passage. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for all the men and women who are here that have come with baggage, that have come with trials, that have come with tribulations, and I just pray that you would be able to be present and meet them where they are today. As I always ask, Lord, please hide me behind the cross so that your word will get proclaimed, your people will be encouraged, because ultimately we want to glorify you, edify your church, and advance your kingdom. All these things we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those that may not be aware, when we think about this idea of justice, it's important to tie this to the character of God. When you think about an attribute, an attribute is a quality, it's a a characteristic, it's describing what something is like. So when we think about God, we can say, what is God like? One of the attributes, one of the elements that we can say about God is he's just. And here's some scriptures that will lay the foundation that I think will be helpful as we enter into this idea of justice. The psalmist says in Psalm 103, verse 6, Yahweh works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Psalm 146, 7 and 9 says, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The psalmist here is talking about the creator of the universe, God, the personal name of God, Yahweh. He also says in Jeremiah 9, verse 24, but let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, and there it is, justice and righteousness in the earth. For the things I delight, declares Yahweh. 
I can keep going and going on scriptures upon scriptures. These were from the Old Testament, but I can go to the New Testament and you will see all throughout the scriptures, all throughout the Bible, that God's heart is just. His heart is just and he cares about those typically on the margins And he thinks that his people should also. Amen. Now, this doesn't mean that God only cares for those on the margin. He cares for everybody. Yes. But there is a certain heart that God has for the vulnerable. So I can come from the scriptures and I am coming from the scriptures. And as we look at Amos, I want to give the historical context because I know some of you haven't read this book in a while. So just so we can get on the same page and make sure we we know what's going on, let's talk about the book of Amos. So this is during a time of of abundant prosperity under this guy by the name of Jeroboam II. Some people would look at him as the greatest ruler of the dynasty of, of Jehu. Now, he was a military leader. He reigned for about 41 years or so, and he had the longest reign in the northern, as a northern monarch. He accumulated a lot of wealth, a lot of military victories in the Silver Age. And from some people's perspective, they would say he was a great ruler. He was a great leader. But from the prophet's perspective, he was a terrible leader. In fact, From Amos' perspective, he was one of the worst leaders of all. He allowed idol worship, and it resulted in neglect of the poor. So Amos is coming from the southern kingdom, prophesying and saying a word of truth, speaking truth to power, to the northern kingdom. But who was Amos? Well, we see in Amos chapter 7, verse 14, that he was somebody like a, like a, like a, a shepherd of some sort. Uh, he was a fig tree farmer in a place called Tekoa, which was kind of like a farming village. And as I said before, it was located in the south below Jerusalem toward the Dead Sea. Amos prophesied around the same time that the Greeks were settling in Spain about 750 to 760 BC. So this is the the historical context. From today's perspective, we would say Amos was uh, somebody like a a, a layman in the church. Um, He was an ordinary church person, if you will. In other words, he wasn't an individual who had a seminary degree. He didn't go to Bible college or anything like that. He was just a typical person just in the church. He was a a, a believer. And I'm reminded that he wasn't a a professional prophet in that sense, but I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 26 to 29, and it says, for consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are 
not to bring nothing, things that are. God can use anybody. Amen. He can use anybody for his ultimate purposes, whether you think that you are deserving of it or not deserving of it. You can ask Moses. Moses was an individual who had some type of speech impediment, right? He didn't think that he was an individual that can be the leader and liberator of the people of Israel. But God used him in such a way, so mightily, so strong that he was that individual. God can use anybody and he can use a man that is a shepherd and a fig tree farmer to speak truth to this king in the northern kingdom. As I said before, the book of Amos can be broken in three different movements, if you will. The first is uh, the first one, the prophet's message to the nations and to Israel. So chapters one and two, we can see that it's a message from this prophet to the nations and to the people of God. And when you read it, you will see that there are indictments that this prophet gives to the nations, the nations like Damascus, the nations like Gaza. And you can read so on and so on. What's fascinating about this is when he starts to indict the people of God, when he starts to indict Israel, the indictments get more expansive. They get more comprehensive. He starts off small with these different nations, then he shifts over to Israel, and he gives more of an expansive indictment on the people of God. We can say, if you knew better, you do better. And this is what we see here in, in Amos. I just want to list some of the social injustices that we see in Amos. First, we see in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, selling captives into slavery. Selling captives into to slavery. Captives were easily sold to dealers who would transport them from their homeland. We can understand that slavery is not a good thing. Amen? It's a bad thing. It's not something that's, that, 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 that was good. This is a social Injustice. We also see in chapter 1, verse 13, mistreatment towards pregnant women. Let me read verse 13 for you here. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites in the four and four four, I would not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilad that they may enlarge their border. What's fascinating about this is there was an Assyrian king during this time that actually has this, that had a document and were bragging. He was bragging. He was boasting in this idea of ripping babies out of the womb of a pregnant woman. We can see that just that statement alone is it's not good. Um, I know that a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, you guys did a book club through uh, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, which is a fascinating book. And um, 
I want to share a story with you from that because when we think about ripping babies from pregnant women, I mean, in some cases that still happens today. But listen to this historical example of what happened. Just to kind of brace yourself, um, this is a very, very sad story. Um, This is something that may cause a little discomfort. It will cause a little discomfort. Um, So I just want to give you a disclaimer about that. But I think it really illustrates and proves my point of social injustice. This is what it says here. Mary Turner was put to death. It was so revolting and the details are so horrifying that, is it, that it is with reluctance, reluctance that the account is given. Mary Turner has been vocally protesting the lynching of her husband and her cries for justice made her a target for a white racist lynch mob. When they caught up to her, they tied her ankles and hung her upside down from a small oak tree. Turner was eight months pregnant, and at that time, but that fact elicited no mercy from the mob, who applied gasoline and oil to her pregnant body. They struck a match and lit it, burning off her clothes. Then while she was still alive, one man took a knife commonly used for killing hogs and cut open her womb. The child fell from Turner's midsection, and according to White, the infant prematurely born gave two feeble cries, and then its head was crushed by the member of the mob with his heel. Terrifying story. But we can say social injustice. Not only in 1918 when this story happened, not only in Amos, but also this lineage of mistreating pregnant women, we can see that it still happens today. Again, social injustice. We also see uh, debt slavery and bribery that happened. We see this in Amos chapter 2, verse 6. Those who were rich behave as they wanted to without being questioned. Silver passed hands and the corrupt judges convicted those who were innocent. The righteous, it was totally different for the poor. The judges were selling were willing to sell a poor man into slavery, even though his debt might have been as small as a cost of cheap of a cheap pair of sandals, because the creditor made him part of the money he received from the sale. So, in this context, again, you had uh, bribery and, and debt slavery, and who did it affect? It affected the poor. Social injustice. We had wealthy ignoring the poor. This is in Amos chapter 2, verse 7. And this is where the powerful, rich landowners stepped on the poor 
by using the courts to pervert justice. Social injustice. You also had sexual misconduct in the same verse. If you can re- continue to keep reading, um, there has this idea that there was a, a female slave that was purchased and a father and a son would uh, go into this particular woman. That language of going into is talking about sexual intercourse. And we can see that one, that there's a female slave, so already social injustice. But we can also use our common sense and say, well, a son and a father shouldn't be having sex with the same woman. Amen? It's not cool. Social injustice. What else do you have here in in, in Amos? You had some people taking financial advantage of the poor. There's a story that's been going around, and some of you may know of it, but I was intrigued by this. Um, I know we live in Arizona, but for those that um, don't know, the state of Mississippi is the poorest state in America. It receives about $86 million of welfare funds from the federal government to help poor. What's interesting about this is 90% of the applicants get rejected from this fund. As I continue to keep reading and, and investigating the story, uh, there were some welfare funds that were given to former quarterback Brett Favre. Some of you know the story. About $1 million was, was, was given to him because he was supposed to be given some speeches that he never gave. But then also there was some funds, about $5 million worth, that were given to build a new volleyball arena for the University of Southern Mississippi, which his daughter went to at that time. There are other people that's involved in this whole entire story but they, the reports at this rate has said about $70 million have been squandered in these welfare funds. What's my point? These funds were for the vulnerable. These funds was for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for these people, and this is a Modern day example of how those people have been taken advantage of all in the name of whatever. Remember, 90% of the applicants get rejected, but the money is there, but the money is being redirected to something else. Social injustice. I want to just lay a foundation to let you guys know that I'm coming from the Bible here. I'm coming from the scriptures, and I'm showing you in the text where these social injustices are arising from, and I'm drawing parallels to them of what's going on today. So the first part of Amos, chapters 1 and 2, 
as the prophet's message to Israel and the nations. And in chapters 3 and 6, talk about the prophet's message to Israel and its leaders. It's the elders. Social injustice in Amos continues in Amos chapter 5, verse 11. You have excessive taxation on the poor to benefit the rich. In chapters 3, 4, and 5, Amos starts off with this oracle saying, Hear this word. The Lord has spoken. Again, when we talk about a prophet, this is the literal mouthpiece of God. And Amos was interestingly, is also, if you didn't know, he's known as the social justice prophet. <laughs> so he's saying, hear this word to this people. And in chapter 3, there's allusions to Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, which talks about God's plan for all humanity. God always had a plan in mind to save all of the different people groups, all of the different families of the world. That's what it alludes to in chapter three. But then he has this word of justice and righteousness. Now, I know last week, Pastor Caleb broke that word down and talked about that. But just to reiterate, typically, if you do a word study through the Bible, you will see that justice and righteousness go together. They are interestingly, interestingly, strategically, I would argue, put together. You can't have one without the other. And what we see here is justice talks about the idea of actions taken to correct injustice. Actions that are taken to correct injustice. And and righteousness has this idea of, of right relationships Equity, despite the social difference. Let me read Amos 5, verses 14 and 15, because this is a familiar language that I think is important. He says here, seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you, as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Let me go down to verse 21 and 24. He says, I hate, despise your feasts. Remember, he's talking to the leaders here. These are the people that know the Bible. They know the scriptures. These are the elders. These are the leaders of this place. And this is what he is saying. I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fat and animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But here he says this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, there's the word, like an ever flowing 
extreme. Why does it say this here? Why is Amos charging the leaders up with this? Because during the solemn assembly, this is a a gathering of the people of God uh, for some type of sacred feast of some sort, some festival or a holy occasion. And what was going on in Amos is the people of God were neglecting the poor. So God is upset. God is mad because God's people should care about the vulnerable and they were not. So he says, your songs, your offerings, all of that type of stuff, I don't want it. In Amos, we see an autopsy of a dead congregation. And why? Because they were neglecting the poor. But hold on, they knew doctrine. They knew theology. They knew all the right stuff. Yeah, but they were not acting justly. So it's a category for people to know the Bible, to go to rooted class, and still miss the fact of engaging with the vulnerable. (sighs) There's an exposedness, if that's a word, I just made it up. God is exposing religious hypocrisy. You understand what I'm saying, DSBC? He is exposing religious hypocrisy to the leaders. I want to ask this question. In what ways have we neglected the poor? Maybe you ask this. Does God hear our singing? Does God want our giving? Because from this text, the flow of justice, (laughs) there needs to be some engagement with the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Uh Uh-oh. God says, if you're not engaging in it, I don't even want to hear your song. What solemn assemblies do we have? I think about Sunday morning to some degree. This is a holy occasion, I would say. This is a sacred gathering. What about big conferences? The Waging Peace Conference that the women do, which I hear is an amazing conference. People, women from our church, they love the Waging Peace Conference. But... Conferences, big church events, Easter. Easter's a big time, a lot of stuff happening. Solemn assemblies. I don't want us to be a congregation that God says, take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps because he won't listen because we neglect the poor. Listen, the SBC is not an option if we are the people of God. Amen? Amen. 
In what ways have we been hypocrites and neglected the poor and oppressed? In what ways may God be hating or despising our solemn assemblies? That's a question I think that we need to wrestle with. Matthew 23, 23, in the New Testament, the right side of the Bible, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders of that day. They knew all the systematic theology. They knew all the Bible. They would have wrote the commentaries during this day. These were the quote-unquote pastors of that time, if you will. They knew the scriptures better than all of us put together. And in Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, he says, You have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And he tells them, you've neglected justice. This is Jesus confronting these people. In the same vein that Amos was confronting these people. I think there's a contrast here. Rivers of religiosity and rivers of of justice and righteousness. And I think that the people of God, I think the Bible is calling God's people to be about flowing rivers of justice and righteousness for the poor. The idea of pouring out water in the Bible is is concentration of life to God. Uh, There's a higher purpose that we have. The Lord is looking for lives whose energies abundantly are flowing out of righteousness and, and, and justice. The cultivation and holding of sound moral principles of life and the practice and the practice and the practice of these principles in personal and social behavior. There is a practice. There is an exercise. There is engagement that is required. Not to get to God, but because you are God, and this is a result of the good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that he's prepared us to walk in. Amen? The third breakdown in the book of Amos started off with the nations in Israel. Then he focuses on the people of God and its leaders. And then in chapter 7 through 9, this is Amos. uh, This is the prophet's visions of, of judgment. He gives a total of five visions. And essentially due to the due to the obedience Due to disobedience, God will send judgment on on Israel because the people of God are not living the way that they should. God's going to send judgment. That's essentially what's happening in the chapters 7 through 9. So as I, there's a lot here in the book of Amos. I just want to give quick five lessons that I think we can learn. Just quick five lessons that we can learn from the book of Amos. Lesson number one, abuse of power leads to injustice. Abuse of power leads to injustice. Hear me on this. There's nothing wrong in and of itself of having power. In fact, power is a good thing. It just depends on what is that person in power using it for. Amen? Uh, For instance, um, a knife, yes, you can use it to cut up some good chicken, 
you can use it to cut up some, 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 some veggies. You know what I'm saying? I'm hungry, by the way. That's why I'm using <laughs> Bible, the food metaphor. But you can use a knife to do, cut up food, and then you can eat it. Or you can use a knife to stab somebody. Is the knife bad? No. It's the person that's using the knife is bad. Yes? So abuse of power can lead to injustice. What do I mean? Well, this is why we have a Me Too movement. And to bring it more close to home, this is why we have a Church Too movement. When you have pastors and leaders abusing their power, and it leads to injustice. I'm just putting some flesh on the bone so you can get a picture of what I mean. We can list a whole lot more. I'm just saying those are just two examples right there how abuse leads to power. Second thing that we can learn from the book of Amos is God holds all people accountable and nations. Everybody is held accountable and there will be a time where God is going to execute his justice on people. And I think that's a good thing for us to resonate with and to understand and to know that you can't fool God. You will be held accountable. Whether you see that accountability or that or not, it will happen eventually because God holds all people accountable. The third thing I think we can learn from the book of Amos is the idea of, of, of centering the poor. Uh, centering those people that tend to get overlooked and tend to get outcast. Again, question we have to ask is, who are the poor? Who are the marginalized? Who are the vulnerable? Who are the oppressed? Who are those people that we need to, to center? Fair question. I think we have to think about specifically in, in our context in Phoenix, our our immigrant community. I think we need to think about the orphan. I think we need to think about the widow. I think we need to think about the single moms and the single dads. I think we need to think about the homeless. I think that we need to also consider the mass incarceration situation that we have in Arizona because it's ranked top 10 in the country. We have a lot of people that are pushed to the margins, pushed to the the, the side and that we don't really care about if we're honest. And I think God is calling his people. Prophet Amos is calling people to care for the poor, care for the vulnerable, care for the orphan, care for the widow because God cares about So we need to find ways to center the poor. We need to be aware. So there's an awareness aspect. I think there's an educational aspect as well. So we need to be aware. We need to be educated on the issue, on the topic, on the people. And there needs to be engagement. I think for a lot of us, that's where we may stop at. Oh, that's too much to deal with. Oh, those people are... Oh, it's their fault. By the way, in the book of Amos, nowhere in the book of Amos that I've found is the, it's the poor's fault that they're in where 
they're in the situation that they're in. Nowhere in the book of Amos does that say that. It doesn't mean today that there are some complicated issues. I get all that. But I'm just saying that sometimes I think a lot of us, we tend to say, oh, well, is there a fault? Is there an issue? I think God's heart is much bigger than that. And so should his people. So awareness, education, and engagement. The fourth thing I think that we need to learn and we need to know from Amos, and I know I'm out of time, but I am a black preacher. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to talk to uh, uh, Pastor Caleb about that, um, that time clock thing because I think, that, I think that's a social injustice. <laughs> the fourth thing i think we need to learn is social justice correlates with true worship and for those people that may be a little oh that word social justice here's how i'm reframing it here's how i'm defining it from the scriptures is simply this god's care for the vulnerable the orphan, for the poor, and so should his people. That's all I mean by social justice. I don't import any other stuff that y'all may be reading or thinking or your coworker told you about. I'm simply speaking from the scriptures. Amen. Amen? So we're talking about God's care for the poor. If you don't like the word social Whatever. Use biblical justice. I don't care. The point is we need to be caring for God's. We need to be caring for God's people. We need to care for these people. And I would argue social justice correlates with true worship. You're not worshiping God rightly if you're not engaged in social (laughs) justice, i.e. caring for the poor caring for the vulnerable, caring for the marginalized. Can you really look at injustices around us and say nothing about it? If we are really the people of God, if we really have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of us, as the scripture says, can we look at abortion and say nothing about it? Can we look at sexism and say nothing about it? Can we look at police brutality and say nothing about it? Can we look at ageism and say nothing about it? Can we look at all the wickedness, all the brokenness, all of the social issues that we have and say nothing about it? Can we look at racism in the eye? And really say, ah, I don't see color. Can we really look at our immigrant friends and say nothing about it? If your heart doesn't beat for justice and righteousness for these people, you have to examine yourself to see if you are genuinely in the faith. And that's not Pastor John talking, that's Bible talking. Social justice correlates with true worship. 
And remember what Amos says in chapter 5. Your spirituality, your religiosity, oh yeah, God hates that. If we're neglecting the poor. He doesn't want to hear it. Keep your money. Keep your offerings. Keep your tithes. And sing your songs by yourself. Social justice correlates with true worship. The call to justice is a call to action. This should be a call for justice because justice is within the nature of God. And since we are created in his image and likeness the last time I checked, we should walk in a manner that showcases, that displays, that gives glory to how he created us. In Proverbs, we are urged to speak up on behalf of others, not to be silent. Uh-oh. It says speak up on behalf of others. Ensure justice for those who are crushed. As people in a position of advantage, of power, of privilege, whatever, we are called to speak, have a voice for the voiceless. It is not an option. It is called by God for us to do this. The last thing that I think we can learn as I come to a close is the SBC. We serve the God of justice. We serve the God of justice. And because we serve a God of justice, we should be just as well. At the cross of Jesus is where I would say that we see real justice in real time. Uh, it's where God's love, it's where his justice, it's where his wrath, it's where his mercy, it's where his grace all connect. It's where it all meets. And at the cross of Christ, the greatest injustice took place. Where Jesus suffering and dying because of Jewish people that didn't like him, because of the Roman government that executed him. We can say that that was social injustice. But that happened so that you and me could become right with God through faith, through repentance, that little repentance dance that Caleb did last week, through repentance. And through the Holy Spirit, we can be made alive in Christ, in the God of justice. And through his death, his burial, and resurrection, we can have newness of life. And if you believe, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of your own doing, <laughs> so that nobody can boast. This is the grace of God. And it's his justice that gives us relationship with him. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you of being a God of justice. We pray that we can be able to be more just in our ways and in our actions. Help us, Lord, confess that we have not been just to others. 
because of pride, because of prejudice, because of whatever is in our heart, Lord, we ask that you will be able to cleanse us. And we know at the cross is where that cleansing happened. So I pray for anybody here that struggling, that's on a journey. I pray for the message to be able to be received, to understand that social justice matters. It correlates with true worship, the care for the poor, the vulnerable, the outcast. As God's people, we should care because you care for them. So help us, Lord, as we seek to do this. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.